And the men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord seeth, but the water is not, and the ground barren. And he said, Bring me a new cruise, and put salt therein. And they brought it to him. And he went forth unto the spring of the waters, and cast the salt in there, and said, Thus saith the Lord, <clears throat> I have healed these waters, there shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day, according to the saying of Elisha, which he spake. You know, we get accustomed to a lot of miracles from the Old Testament days, and we don't stop to realize always that Jesus Christ is the same today. Uh, they had a school of the prophets over there near Jericho. The land of Jericho was the land that, to which Lot pitched his tent, that well-watered land of Sodom in the area. And then when God destroyed Sodom, it became a wilderness, largely. <clears throat> but uh, in the days when Israel went across the Jordan to Jericho, there was an area there in Jericho that had plenty of water. But Joshua uttered a prophecy after Jericho was destroyed. He said, Cursed is the man that will build this city, because Jericho was the center of the idolatrous worship of Ashtaroth, the most licentious form of worship, degrading form of worship. To well remember what kind of a place it was when we come to the miracle in a few minutes. And he said, the man that will arise, cursed is the man that arises and builds this city in his firstborn and puts up the gate in his youngest. And that was fulfilled. You'll find it over in the book of Kings. But in the days of Elisha, there was a school of the prophets not far from Jericho. <clears throat> and the people in Jericho were most undeserving. But this little school of the prophets outside of Jericho was the object of Elisha's visit. And while he was visiting there and giving his regular instruction, one or more of the leaders of, of the city came to him. And they said, uh, this is a very pleasant place, but the spring that's been feeding this city now has, has become very putrid. And would you come to our rescue? And Elisha went over and he said, yes. Get me a little salt, put it in a cruise of water, and I'll put this salt into this spring. And the spring was healed. Unto this day, it says, it became very fruitful, a land of date palms, of fruit, and, and many kinds of, of wheat, and a, a luxurious place. Now, why in the world did the Lord, through Elisha, perform this miracle for a city that was completely undeserving? What about these conditions to answered prayer? 
we have listed in our little book, Science of Prayer, we've listed 12 general conditions to prayer. Then we've listed seven more conditions to soul winning answers. That's a total of 19 conditions. So we haven't overlooked the conditions to answered prayer. But here is a people who deserve absolutely nothing. They are they're in, a, in a condition that's abhorrent to the Lord. And they come, come to God's child, God's messenger, God's prophet. Will you come to our rescue? Now these are Israelites, remember, who have been contaminated with the sins of the nations around them. And Elisha goes down and answers, God answers their prayer through Elisha. And the water's healed. Why in the world would the Lord do a thing like that? For people who are completely undeserving, he gives them water. Might it be the same one of whom Jesus spoke when he said, the Lord sends the rain on the evil and the good, the sunshine on the just and on the unjust, could it be that same God? Could it be that he was saying to these, to his people Israel, look, just like I've healed this, this water, so I want to heal your spiritual malady, and I'm waiting to do it. <clears throat> you know, it's a great message to me. God is eager, friends, to come to our rescue. No matter how unworthy any heart this morning may feel, God is eager to have us come and say, Lord, I've been drinking of the putrid water. Even though I'm an Israelite by, by name, I certainly haven't been living the life that I should live. I've drink, been drinking in of the abominable TV pictures radio, sordid stories, where sin is made pleasant. Sin ceases to be looked upon as sin because so much fun is associated with it. Putrid waters that destroy the soul. I've been reading stories, dear Lord, that do anything except to bring me happiness and peace and joy. And why in the world do I continue? Oh, Lord, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. But then the devil comes along and said, Listen, you've done so many things that are so wrong, so long, you have no right to expect anything of God. No, we don't have any right. But thanks God, I know a name, a wonderful name, through whom we can come, unworthy though we may be. I thank God for that name, don't you? Thank God for that name. And we can say, Lord, a God that would do this for those unworthy people, you can change my supply of water from the putrid streams of earth, and you can give me the waters of salvation. And Isaiah wrote, Isaiah 55, 1, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters and drink. Come, buy wine, milk, without money, without price. It's just as free to you as it was to these unworthy inhabitants 
of Jericho. Don't let the devil tell you that you can't find access to the waters of life. And if we have some question about it, turn to the fourth chapter of the book of John and see whether God is looking down his nose at us because of mistakes we make. Look down here. Here it is, John chapter 4. Jesus with his disciples came over there to this well, Jacob's well. And we're not going to read the whole story, just going to notice something about how these waters are provided for a sin-sick heart. And notice Jesus came there, and, and as, he, as he came, and his disciples went into the city to get some food, there, verse 7, cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away from the city to buy meat. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, Listen to this, friends. If thou, and think of it as though he was speaking to you personally and me personally, if thou knewest what? If thou knewest what? If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee the living waters. The living waters of salvation he offered to this woman. Who was she? A little later in the narrative, he said, Go and call your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. And very kindly, Jesus said, you have said correctly, you don't have a husband. You've had five. And the man with whom you're living is not your husband. And the way he let her know that he knew to whom he was offering salvation free of charge was a woman in that situation. To whom is our Lord offering the waters of salvation? To those whose sins are as scarlet to those that are completely as undeserving as was the city of Jericho, as was the woman of Samaria. And you know, when Jesus was through talking with her, he didn't have his disciples cuddle about him and say, you ought to see what kind of a thing she was. <laughs> she has been married five times. <laughs> And she is now living out of wedlock. <clears throat> None of it. But do you know there are plenty of professed saints of God who do that? He's on drugs. <clears throat> Can you imagine the life that person is living? They're living out of wedlock. It is sin. We're not trying to say it isn't. What we're talking about is Christ's attitude towards sinners. He doesn't say you're not a sinner. He admits you did have five husbands. You are living in sin. I offer you still free of charge my free gift of salvation. That's Jesus Christ. Thank God for such a Savior. What do you think? But you know, my friends, there are a lot of people who think about that miracle of the healed waters of olden days, 
and they just don't realize that Jesus Christ is doing both healing of physical water and of the spiritual water today. We're holding a series of meetings down in the southeast. We're gathering experiences. We love to gather them. Because, you know, our favorite author says that as we share what God has done for us, as we've claimed his promises, and it uses that term, this is the witness for which the world is dying. The world is dying for, for, for what? For the witness of how we've tested his promises and found they're true. So we were sharing them and, and inviting people to share with us. Don't come and talk to us about it because I can't remember. Put it on a tape and send it to us or write it in a letter. We love it. And as we were sharing in that particular church, a lady came to me. She said, I have a, an experience, a very humble lady, very, very sweet saint of God. And let me interrupt myself just now by, by stating that I was telling an experience this morning to the young people, and one of the little folks said, is that a true story? I said, yes, we don't tell any lies. I said, I'll tell you how true the stories are that we relate. I said, this particular one that we're relating at 11 o'clock will give you one example of how careful we are. I made a long-distance telephone call sometime after I heard, got this experience I'm going to share. And I asked a minister if he would please contact this lady very diplomatically, her neighbors and friends, do a, a good research, and I would give him $25 to help him with the expenses. And I said, this is what we do. The story of Sonny Fox, we would never tell it until we had double-checked. We don't tell lies. Jesus is the truth, and we're telling the truth. This lady said, she said, we were very poor. We still are. We finally were able to get a home, but we didn't have any money to drill a well. For months, we had to draw water from a neighbor's. Finally, we saved and saved and saved until we were finally just able to have the well drilled, but not able to put the slab in or the pump in. She said they struck water rather fairly quickly, but so to be absolutely sure there's a, a large supply, we had them go even deeper. But she said, as they drew the water, it was muddy. We said, well, that'll clear up right away. Just let it run overnight. The next morning, it was muddy. Well, we let it run a few days. It was still muddy. Well, we let it settle because we can't put in the slab in the pump for several months anyway. We don't have the money. When we put the slab in and, and put in the electric pump, it came out muddy. We'd invested all we had. We couldn't afford to redrill it. We couldn't afford to drill another. She said, we're heartbroken. A few days passed. We turned the water on. Still muddy. She said, and one day when my husband is at work, weeks I guess had passed by now, 
I thought of the story of the healed water in the days of Elisha. And I thought to myself, I wish I could get a hold of a present-day Elisha. <laughs> he could take care of our water. But she said, I didn't know of any present-day prophet <laughs> living. Do you? I don't. She said, and as I mused on this thought, I went and got my Bible and read the story again from 2 Kings. And I thought, isn't that wonderful? Wouldn't Jesus be the same today? Would he or wouldn't he? And she said, as I, the more I read it and studied it and pondered on it, the more I thought, I'm not a prophet, but Elisha really didn't do it. It was the Lord that did it. <clears throat> Would he be willing to do it for me that I'm just a nobody except his child? She said, and as I thought upon it and thought upon it and thought upon it, I finally went into my home and I found there was a, a box of salt it had never been opened. And I took my Bible open to that miracle in one hand and the salt in the other. And I found a place where I could pour the salt down into the well with a prayer, Lord, I ask. And I believe, and if it's all right with you, she didn't try to demand. She didn't try to push God. So sweet she was. If, if it's all right with you, would you take care of this muddy water? So I poured it in. The Bible in one hand, the salt in the other, I poured it in. Two moments later, I turned on the water. She said, Pastor, it's never been muddy since. She said, I want to give you a, a little sample of the water so you'll know. And my wife and I have been carrying away around a little a pint jar half full of that water for years and years and years, the healed water. It may still be in our motorhome, I'm not sure. I didn't have time to hunt around to find it, but I usually show it. You know, why did the Lord do that? Could it be that history repeats? The Lord in those days did this for a people who were unworthy. He did it as a, as, as to represent many lessons, many lessons. One was of, one of which was to show how though we do not fulfill all the conditions, even if we set our face Godward in utter, unworthy acceptance, he comes to our rescue. He healed, he healed a leper, Matthew 8, who was not worthy. He healed a paralytic, who recognized his total unworthiness. Thank God we don't have to bring God to God our worthiness. Aren't you glad? Thank God we have a wonderful Savior who is eager to come to our rescue. And friends, this morning I was talking with three various divisions of the Sabbath school. And I asked them to ask questions in one division, and one question came in like this, and I'm speaking particularly to us older ones now. Came in for my presumed teenager. Why is it so hard for us teenagers to accept Christ? Don't you think we ought to know the answer? Why? 
And you know what the answer is, in part? I said, first of all, teenagers aren't trying to be cussed. Not at all. Teenagers want to do what all the rest of us want. We want to do something to find happiness. Teenagers just want to be happy. And if we older ones could realize that teenagers want happiness, is that a sin to want to be happy? Why, no. The gospel offers happiness. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Right? In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16 of us. Right? That's not my Bible. It's your Bible. It's all of our Bibles. Teenagers have a right to want to be happy. How many agree? Put up your hands. Way up. High, high, high. Oh, good. Now I said, if a teenager sees an older person who is not happy but professes Jesus, if a teenager sees us who profess the religion of Jesus Christ like a great big overgrown worrywart face, who wants that? And I say to a teenager, I want you to be like I am. They say, God help me. Therefore, what we older ones need to do is to reflect to our boys and girls that we found what we wanted when we found the river of the water of life. That though there are many problems, we know God will solve them. Amen? This is why we're urging our people to get into prayer groups. For Jesus said, ask and you will receive and your joy will be full. Friends, you begin to get some marvelous answers from the hand of God and your teenagers won't see worry-worn Christian faces. They'll see faces that are happy in Jesus. And they deserve to see that. And if I offer a teenager polluted water from a spring that is not, how in the world can I expect him to want to drink it? If our friends and loved ones should see from us, emanating from our Christian experience, a religious water that reflects confusion and frustration and, and unbelief. How in the world can I expect them to say, oh, I want to drink that. Who wants this cursed, putrid, religious water? Jesus said, the water that I will give you will be a well of water, spring of water, bubbling up. God wants a Christians who, while we recognize their heavy problems, we realize that devil is fighting, we realize that persecution will abound, we realize the dark tunnel ahead, we realize that our God is able to keep that which we've committed unto him. What do you say? Brother, sister, our young people deserve it. Our neighbors deserve it. Our fellows deserve it. And you and I can pass out a thousand tracts but unless we leave tracks of joy in our pathway, we can't expect, expect people to want the religion of that kind of tracks. <laughs> One lady put in a question where we had a question and answer service. She said, I'm passing out tracks all around the neighborhood. And she said, I went to one home and the lady wouldn't accept my track. 
What will I do one that won't accept my track? I said, make tracks back home. And friends, we had, and the tracks that we make should be the tracks that will lead people to the bubbling fountain of Jesus Christ. No, we're not to hide our face in the sand and say there are no problems. No, no, no. There are mighty, heavy problems. Hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people have almost crushing problems. But thank God we have a Christ who said, if you'll ask me, I'll give you free of charge this water. Aren't you glad? It's free. Why did the Lord place in the last book of the last, the last chapter of the last book of the New Testament these words, Revelation 22, 17? Let him that the Spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that heareth say, come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life, what? Freely. Never give your little boys and girls the impression that God loves them if they straighten up and behave. I'm telling our young people all across America and other lands, when a young person comes up and says, you know, I don't like God. What am I to do? I said, I'm so glad you don't like God. And if an older person hears it, it begins, what? A minister telling them that he's glad they don't like God? I said, I'll go a step farther. I hope you dump him. What? Turn your back on him. What? The God that you've heard about never existed. The God that looks down his nose and says, look, when you straighten up, I'll behave you. Uh, uh, when you straighten up and behave, I'll love you. He never existed. That's the devil. God says, I love you just as you are. If you hate me, I still love you. If you have crucified me afresh, I still love you. There's nothing you can do that'll turn my love off. That's God. Never tell young people, Behave so God can love you. That's a lie. That's a devil's lie. God loves you. And I'll see the little tots. You know, I repeat it many times. Little tots, we go to some of our church schools, and they're the first graders sitting there, second graders. And I say, oh, Lord, help me to let them know the gift of salvation is free. Help them to know it's not their behavior. It's the love of God. So I'll say to them, if you should commit a sin today, will Jesus forgive you? And you know what all of them will say? Yes. Yeah. Little folks, you know. Don't you love them? And then I'll take on a very stern look. It isn't hard for me. A very stern look. And I said, but listen, listen. If you repeat that sin, if you commit that sin the second time today, can you expect? I give them a real coon look. Can you expect God to forgive you then? And you know what nearly all of them will do? And then I smile and say, yes, he will still do it. God loves you just as you are. You can't shape up. That's why we have a creator redeemer. 
He does the shaping. The world was without, without form and void, Genesis 1. And he put the form. He put the beauty. He put the excellency into it. Then I, then I take that coon look again. But listen, children. If you perchance should do that terrible thing seven more times today, then do you expect God's going to forgive you? And you know what all those little heads do then? Yes, he will. He will. They get the point quickly. But I said, now listen, if you do it 490 times today, and then I get that protruding finger at work. So that I can talk about the Lord like the devil. If you do it 490 times today, then can you expect forgiveness? And every little head goes, yeah, that's God. He doesn't want us to sin. It hurts us. It hurts him. It crucifies him, but it does not change his love. That's God. That's the one who said to the woman of Samaria, though you've had five husbands, you've had a rough time. In effect, you're saying, I know you weren't happy in that life. And I know you're not happy in the life that you have now. I have something to offer that will give you happiness. And she saw in his face that he was happiness. And that's what people need to see in our faces. Problems, all kinds of problems, but a God who takes care of problems. Let's claim his promises, what do you say? And you know how, how the water was healed? Do you know how putrid lives are healed? Jesus said, ye are the salt of the earth. And you read from our favorite author in that beautiful book, Prophets and Kings, on the healed water, statements like these. <clears throat> There's lots of truth that's being given out to people. And they read it and they hear it. But the reason they don't accept it is they don't see it reflected in life-giving joy in the lives of professed Christians. The salt isn't operating. The literature is good, but they need to see more than literature. They need to see that we found a happiness in Jesus that makes us uncritical, ungossipy, uncomplaining, because we have a God that gives us forgiveness free of charge, gives us a new heart free of charge, gives us eternal life free of charge, gives us victory free of charge. It's not a do-it-yourself. We fight the fight of faith. He does the work. Our Father in heaven, thank you this Sabbath morning for Jesus, my Savior. Thank you, Lord, this morning that each one of us may look up into your face and say, this is a good God. We can look up in the face of Jesus in faith and say, what a wonderful Savior. Oh, help us to reflect that kind of a Savior. And dear Lord, just now, if there's one soul that's really thirsty, thirsty for salvation, but finds somehow there's an emptiness, may that one just now say, Lord, I, all I can do is open my heart to the living water. I'm asking you to do the work. You'll do the saving. You'll do the victory gaining. You've already gained the victory. You're giving it to me. Though I can't do it, I can accept it. If there's one that came in without that assurance, and you will take 
from his hand by simple faith, without the feeling, just simple faith, his water of life. Would you lift your hand? Amen. 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 Dear Lord, thank you right now. We ask, we believe, we do receive. Put your hands down, their heads still bowed. How many this morning feel that we have not reflected as we should to others the joy that's found in Jesus? And we want God to forgive us. And we want him to give us the living water to such an extent that men and women will see that there's something beautiful in the life and the doctrines which we profess. If you crave this, would you stand? And dear Lord, we come with open vessels. Thank you that it's a free gift. Thank you as we ask now. You said it'll be given. You said believe that you receive and you shall have. And then you've taught us by your own prayer to say, Father, I thank you, you've heard me. Thank you that we can go home not under a cloud, but riding a cloud of assurance and victory in Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.